Welcome to Heels in the Courtroom, a podcast about successfully navigating law and life, featuring the women trial attorneys at the Simon Law Firm. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Heels in the Courtroom. This is Erica Slater, and today I'm joined by Liz Lenneby and Mary Simon. Hey, ladies. Hello. Hey. So today we want to talk about preparing your client for trial. I had a recent case that settled on not the 11th hour before trial, more like at 10.59 p.m. I think it settled before trial. And the experience with our clients was wonderful. And one of the things, you know, we obviously got through trial prep with them for their actual testimony at trial, but also I realized or was reminded from working with them at the end and close to trial, how much preparing your clients for trial, I think, starts at the very first communication with them. And what do I mean by that? So we had built a rapport. I had talked to them about our firm's approach to litigation, how The way I always describe it is I don't practice to forfeit. (laughs) And so if we are working up a case and litigating a case, we are preparing it for trial. And the only way to, I think, correctly represent a client in litigation is to treat every single case that you file, that you end up filing, as if it's going to trial. And that puts you in the strongest position. But to do that, it, you know, and when you're telling the client that's what you're doing, it there is also quite a bit of communication that goes on with your client preparing them for what it's actually going to be like when you get to the eve of trial. Because we all have had clients, no matter whether you represent individuals or, you know, corporate clients or whomever, plaintiffs, defendants, civil, criminal, when you get on the eve of trial, the cold feet feeling sneaks in and you can start to doubt yourself if you're a litigant and thinking about going to trial because it's one thing to talk about this amorphous thing that could happen in two and a half years it's quite another thing to be sitting with your attorney and prepping for your testimony that you're planning to give in front of a jury which can be extremely intimidating especially um, for any client again plaintiff or defendant um, given the facts of a case which could be immensely personal and be talking about a very terrible time or terrible incident that happened in their life. Um, I'm happy to pepper in some of the things I've learned along the way, but I want to hear from you guys first to start the discussion. Liz, what types of things do you talk to your client about either on the eve of trial? How do you do it? Or what, how have you prepared your clients so they're with you in lockstep as you get ready for trial? I think the first thing to do is just explain, at least this is what I do, explain logistically what trial is going to look like. And that's because it's such a foreign concept to the average person, to basically anyone who's not associated with our court system, either as an attorney or, uh, you know, a clerk or someone who has actually seen a trial. It is a weird experience. And I think a lot of times people, when they imagine trial, they think about TV and movies And that's not what it is at all. And so the thing that I start with is just explaining the layout of the courtroom, 
what time we need to be there. Let's talk about what we need to wear. Let's talk about who everyone is going to be, you know, where everyone's going to be positioned. And then going through and getting into the details of their testimony specifically, I walk them through, this is where you're going to be sitting, this is where the jury's going to be, and this is where I'm going to be positioned. And I explain to my clients, I'm going to be sort of standing at the back of the courtroom almost. It's it's going to seem like I am a million miles away, but that is by design. And that's because I want you to, you know, have your face up. I want you projecting your voice. Um, and I want you to be able to, you know, sort of face the jury a little bit because these are the people that are ultimately going to be deciding your case. So that's the first thing I do is just logistically lay things out, explain how everything's going to go. And then we work through what I anticipate will happen with their testimony specifically. You know, we, ha we have our outlines. Obviously, we don't want it to sound scripted because it's not. It needs to flow naturally. But certainly I don't want to ask any questions that are going to surprise my client. There shouldn't be any unexpected questions that come from me. Additionally, or topics or topics. Like. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, additionally, we talk through what does the cross examination probably going to look like? Where are they going to be positioned? You know, the defense attorney, where are they going to be positioned in the courtroom compared to, to my client? And then once we kind of get through the logistics, once we kind of work through the meat of the case, so to speak, I like to take a little bit of time to just ask my client how they're doing. It is sometimes I think difficult for us to remember, especially as we are prepping for trial and it seems like there's a million things to do and just not enough hours in the day, that ultimately the case is about the person sitting in front of us. Everything. This is a job for us, but this is their life. This is going to impact them much more than I think it will impact us. And, you know, it's, it's funny, Mary, I was just talking to your dad. Him and Johnny just got a, such a phenomenal verdict the other week. And I said, you know, congratulations. And he goes, oh, yeah, it was good. It was cool. On to the next one. <laughs> but it's true, right? Win or lose, yeah. the attitude is always, okay, on to the next one. Put your head down. Put Let's your head go. down. You yeah. got another trial coming up. You got another case to focus on. This is a job. Keep, keep going forward. For a client, though, win or lose, that's yeah. going to stay with them much longer. That high of winning and also the low of losing is going to affect them much longer. And so it behooves us as attorneys at law to take a minute to just ask our client, how are you doing? What are you thinking right now? What are you worried about? I don't ask, are you worried? I already know they're worried. The answer is yes. I say, what are you worried about? Let's talk about it. And I warn them, there's nothing I can do that will fully prepare you for this experience. You're just going to have to go through it yourself. But I hope that it brings you some level of comfort knowing that we have your back the entire way. We've had your back this entire time. You always have us in your corner. No matter what those 12 people in that jury box decide, we believe you and we're here for you. And again, thinking about just how frantic we get during trial prep and looking at everything I have to get done and, and all the things I still haven't even probably thought about that I needed to do, just taking that moment to have that conversation to just sort of calm their fears a little bit more, I think is an important part of trial prep and prepping your client. It's tough to get into the emotional stuff with them, but 
you have to do it. You owe it to them. You owe it to the case to take that minute to, to talk to them, really talk to them. So Liz, what is your approach when you say like get into the emotional stuff? Because here's, here's what I struggle with when I'm prepping a client for testimony. Unlike preparing a client for deposition, I want to kind of take them through every topic, kind of cross-examine them a little bit so they understand kind of what that feels like and, and are prepared for it. But when I'm prepping a client for trial, let me put some context on this. I'm thinking specifically, like in my birth injury cases, preparing the parents to testify about their little son or daughter's, you know, experience and what it has, what their family deals with. There are certain questions and certain emotional points that as a parent, regardless of whether your child has special needs or developmental delays, you are going to worry about them. And, and that's such a personal connection. And it's so emotional. And what I try not to do is I try not to take them to the brink with some of those really emotional topics when I'm prepping them. I want them to know where I'm going to go. But the, the gravitas of sitting on the stand and telling your story and the emotions that it takes even, even it's a public speaking thing, right? So speaking in front of people heightens your emotional response. You're talking about the most personal topic in your life. And I try when I prep not to take them to the brink of where kind of, you know, it gets them, if you will. And just let things happen a little bit more organically on the stand by not scripting it. So when you, you know, are prepping a client, how do you handle the push and pull of wanting much of their testimony to be said in their own words and any emotions to be organic, obviously not planned, you know, we don't talk to our clients and say, okay, and this is where you pull the tears, you know, yeah, like, right, of course. course not. And I've had clients that I've prepped and we even get into the emotional stuff and they're stoic. And then you put them on the stand in that situation and they're like, this is it. And they break down. And, you know, you're thinking, hmm, maybe I should have let them kind of feel that, you know, so they are able to get their composure. But I think it's a tough thing to do. I think you have to also know your client. And this is part of what we, you mentioned at the beginning, Erica, is that really trial prepping your client starts at the first conversation. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking now about a, a case Amy and I had a couple, had had a terrible injury, but he was just a real quiet guy. He didn't want a lot of attention to himself. Physically, you could see what the injury had done to him. I mean, there was no escaping that. But he had always just been a soft-spoken guy and and also I think he was just uh, you know I think we know that type where they don't want people to feel sorry for them and, and and they don't want to sound like they're whining or complaining and ultimately I think we have to remember you're not going to fundamentally change someone's personality if he's always been a quiet stoic guy no it doesn't matter how much you prep him to get up on that stand he's not changing his personality so that was one where we kind of pivoted and said maybe we can find some alternative damages witnesses and some family members to come in and testify to to how this has affected him and it was it was a very effective way to convey those damages because ultimately he got up there and he was quiet and he he said the facts as they were and he kind of looked at his situation as an it, it is what it is 
you know, scenario. And, and that's not what it was. It was not an is, it is what it is. I just have to accept it. But that's sort of what he had internalized. And probably a lot of that is a coping mechanism. So I think that's the first thing is you have to figure out, is this someone who is going to be able, their personality makes them able to convey what we need them to convey. And then as far as making sure it still feels organic, I think it's important for us to remember that just like we expect our clients to not sound scripted, we can't sound scripted. Good point. And so when I write out my direct, and this is this has changed as I've gotten older, as I've done this more, as I've gotten better at this job, I my outlines have gotten shorter. Mm-hmm. And it used to be when I first started practicing, I would write out every single question word for word what it needed to be. And probably it, with the answer like, prompted (laughs) with the answer when you say this with the answer in brackets at the end (laughs) and i would even write out to to say their name you know miss smith how has this injury impacted your relationship and your marriage with your husband mr smith question mark miss smith i I mean it it was ridiculous and And now the questions telling me about your marriage after this now the question (laughs) is a bullet point marriage Marriage. question mark (laughs) yeah where I have to make it sound like I'm a normal person, not in <laughs> talking with another normal talk, yeah, person, just having a conversation with yeah. another normal person. So that is how I've gotten to the point where I don't make it sound so scripted. Now, obviously, if there are certain really important questions you need to have in your direct that you need to ask a certain way. So maybe you don't draw an objection or you don't actually accidentally get into some evidence that has been you know, limited or something like that, yeah. a, you know, a weird situation. I think it's fine to write it out just to make sure you, you, you get it just right. Um, but otherwise, you, you got to make it a conversation. And a lot of this is also the fact that you know your case. You know your case backwards and forwards. You know what your client's testimony is going to be. Just go up there and talk with them. And that's also the way for them to connect with the jury. The jury wants to feel like they're watching two normal people talk about something that's probably awful, but it it doesn't need to sound so rehearsed. So that's what I do. And I think what you're touching on there, it's not, you know, yes, trial presentation has an element of theatrics to it or you know drama builds in a case and those things are natural but I think to honor the rapport and relationship you have with your client that is an authentic conversation you know if if you have gotten far enough in a case with a client that you guys are going to trial and everyone agrees and you're there that's already someone that you've talked to you've had difficult conversations with over the probably the previous couple weeks because you're you're bringing them in much closer leading up to trial than you know the day-to-day things that happen you know during written discovery and the things that happen slowly over you know a year and I think being able to show the jury that authenticity makes you credible and that's at the end of the day you know there's so many things any attorneys again you know I'm sensitive to making sure we don't just give plaintiff's attorney's advice, even though that's what we are. Um, You know, whether you're a plaintiff attorney or a defense attorney, civil or criminal, is navigating the jury system, which is unlike any other forum that exists in our normal lives and gaining the credibility to, you know, prove to the jury, I'm an attorney, I know my stuff, I'm here to do my job and prove to you why 
I believe in my client and doing that in part through an authentic conversation with your client, I think adds to that goal. And so much of it is client dependent. I mean, I've had clients come in where I'm going to prep them for trial and I sat down and it was a, a child who was injured and she, this child's mom came, this was a couple of years ago, came into the office to do prep and she just sat there and cried for about an hour and we didn't do any prep and she just needed to cry and we're close to trial and it was just, Hitting let's her. talk about your son. We just let her cry for an hour and we said, you know what, that was really good. I'm glad you let that out. Let's go home, get some food. I'll call you come back on another day. I anticipate that whatever period of time that I think will take for client prep, I always over allocate that mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And I also and do it far enough in advance. So absolutely you can reschedule. It. Yes. <laughs> another thing that I'll do is, you know, apart from going over all the logistics, Liz, like you said, I immediately start with what are you scared of? Mm -hmm. What are you scared of? Tell me anything you're concerned about. What are you worried about? Most of the time it's I'm afraid I won't remember what, and I always, you know, reassure clients, we could not talk at all until you take the stand and you'd be completely fine. Let's get that concern out of the way. I had another client who kind of giggled during trial prep and I asked her, why are you laughing in a, in a actual like sincere attempt to connect with her of what about this makes you laugh? Well, I laugh when I'm nervous. We're going to say that. The jury's got to know, to your point, Erica, of authenticity, mm -hmm. but it's not an it is what it is kind of situation. And because it looked like it was out of place, but it was completely appropriate for her. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I, anytime there is a physical, my client reacts physically in a way that maybe is not congruent with how I know her to be feeling, we pair the words with what is happening inside that that her authentic reaction might be giggling or fidgeting or, you know, looking up. I had one client who just like she just would look up and not make eye contact with anyone because that it was really hard for her to look people in the eyes to and talk about what happened. Mm -hmm. I also think something I found to be really effective is, you know, we take detailed memos throughout a case on mm -hmm. on various things. We're always thinking about different ways to present things at a trial and one time with a client, I actually brought up a past memo, an initial memo of like a, an initial client meeting and sat down with her before a trial and said, you know, the first time we met, you told me, and I reminded her what she told me about, you know, the situation that happened. And it was kind of like a reflection of how far we'd come. Mm -hmm. And I found it to be really helpful for me and her because I it, it was almost like a look how far I've come moment for her and gave her a little bit more confidence of remember how worried and scared you were and you've gotten through depositions and your family members have given depositions and you've been to this office so many times now and you've met the other lawyers and you now get to go tell it, tell people what happened. And it was really empowering for her. But I can't sit here and say that I would do that for every client. It's it's just a matter of knowing what works for your client. And it's laughable for me to think about the first outline I wrote for a domination. <laughs> I, I'm just I'm just done with those. I'm just done with them for clients. I just I remember telling Erica, hey, I got this outline for a director's game. She's like, yeah, you're not going to need that. Like you, you just, you probably won't need it. Just see how it I goes. I said that gently. <laughs> oh yeah. You're like, probably won't need that. I just, just talk with your client first before you do that. 
and the whole thing got scrapped. And instead, I remember this moment, by the way. Yes. And, and all I did with my client before trial was sit down with her. And I it, it, it there's so much lawyering going on if, with this stuff, like the stuff that we're talking about, mm-hmm. being able to be an attorney for your client, being able to be a counselor, being able to present your client's story from your client's mouth, but in a way that you're the one kind of steering the boat during prep. And I remember talking to her for like four hours and we kind of went all over the place with different things that happened, but there were certain events that happened in her life that made her remember certain aspects of damages, you know, whether it's missing a holiday because you're in the hospital or having to scramble to find childcare because the, you know, the family is all coming to help out with the, you know, the single individual who has been harmed or who is hurt. And it might be like, she just remembered that she was supposed to pick up one kid at school that day and couldn't. So then another family member had to drive in and it was just little weird things that not even weird, just memorable little things that don't seem in my head. I wouldn't be like, who picks up your kids when there's a school event? You know, that's not a question that's in my outline, but that is something that gets her to where she needs to be when she's testifying in front of the jury. And the only way I was able to do that is just by throwing my outline, you know, out the window and sitting down and talking to her mm-hmm. for a while. So it's it's a combination of these things of just knowing your client and and doing that front load that at the beginning of the case when you get it and remembering what makes sense for them. Because if they don't trust you and they're too scared and they can't get the story out, then, you know, you got to rework your strategy. Mary, I love that story you brought up of bringing your first memo Mm -hmm. ever and, and using it to remind the client of how far they've come. I had one client a couple years ago who was particularly emotional. And she would frequently call me basically as we approached trial saying she can't do it. She can't do it. She can't do it. And I told her similar to what you said, I didn't have the memo in front of me, but I said, look, you first came to us at this time and now we're here X amount of years later. This is everything you've gone through. This is everything we've done together. You are at mile 25 of this marathon after everything you've been through and think about it. And really it extends to before before you came to us, this terrible thing happened to you. You survived it. You've gotten better. You've empowered yourself to reach out to lawyers. You've gone through this process. You sat for a deposition and now you're getting ready for trial. You're at mile 25 of this marathon and you're telling me you want to drop out now. And I, and I said it, I didn't quite say it that sassy with her. I said it in a much nicer way, but the same message of, trying to empower them. Yeah, making them so encouraging. Right, making them realize they are much stronger and much braver than maybe they give themselves credit for. So I, I love that idea of bringing up the very first time we talked. And also I think that that tells them and reminds them how invested you have been in them since day one. Right. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a nice bookend to representing that client. And, and also it kind of takes a little bit of the nervousness out. When a client comes in and they know that the meeting is for prep or to talk about. I, I even remember before I did that with her, she sat down and was like, okay, where do you want, where do you want me to sit? Are we going to be in here? Can I go to the bathroom first? Can I, it was, it, it was just like, oh, relax. And me just saying, remember the first time you came here 
and we met and we sat here and we talked. I was thinking about that before you came in today. And it was a total, I could just see on her face this total shift of, oh, this is not going to be something rigid and cold and scripted that right. I think she saw on like a TV show, mm -hmm. you know? It's just that bringing it back to authenticity. Because if you can't, if you can't be authentic in the courtroom and you can't have your client be authentic in the courtroom, you shouldn't go try the case. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. I think that goes, illustrates the point of, you know, that idea of all of our early outlines of <laughs> putting on a client <laughs> is you also have to, as an attorney, think very holistically about your trial and the evidence and think about what you actually need to talk to your client about on the stand. I think as a younger attorney, I thought it was important that the entire story also come from the client. And that's not the case at all. So, and you have to couch where your client's testifying in the story, meaning in the story of the trial. So, and that's even something that's important to think about, you know, when you're thinking about opening or a certain expert, like where is this part of the story coming to the jury? So the jury, by the time you put on your client, probably knows everything about what happened or the liability or, you know, the blow by blow of what happened during this surgery or during this accident or, you know, whatever it is. And so you don't have to lay all this foundation with your client. You know, you can say, you know, we heard about that last conversation you had with the doctor before X. Tell me about that. You know, because they've heard, you know, for four days about how the doctor came in and said, this is how this is going to go. And then the exact opposite thing happened, you know, and and right. so you don't need to bring the jury. They know that moment. Mm -hmm. They know that key moment in your evidence. And then to just pitch it to your client and say, bring us there. Tell us what was going through your mind. And just those simple prompts, because you don't. And again, that comes from being able to talk in those simple prompts tell me about that you know what was going through your mind what memories stick in your head you know prompts like that are the way we all can talk to anyone about their experiences mm -hmm. everyone has stories that they tell and they've told them several times and you know all you need to do is touch that subject and they know how they talk about that, you know? Yeah, and that is that is so key, I think, of working up a case of even knowing what snippets you're getting from each deposition mm -hmm. and when it's going to be shown to the jury at trial. Like, Erica, I remember the, the same client that I wrote this very detailed outline for. I, I remember it, it, it just puts it all in perspective. You have a much better picture of it after you've gone to trial once of, like, you know, the, the client who came into my office and just sobbed for an hour, I, she started doing that when I just said, let's just practice introducing yourself to the jury. And she just said, I'm so-and-so's mom and lost it. And, and looking back in my head, and that case got resolved. She didn't testify at trial. And looking back on it with, you know, the amount of experience I have now, I know that the jury, by the time she was on the stand, all they wanted to do was just hear from the kid's mom period. Mm -hmm. Just who is she? Mm -hmm. Who is this family that we've been hearing about? Um, 
not that she had to sit on the stand and talk about the nuance of the medicine right. of what happened. Right. And that is only something that I feel like you get after you've gone through a trial once and then think to yourself, oh, at this point, the jury doesn't need this individual to be walking through a specific medical timeline of this. The jury's probably just like, hey, we've been watching that lady sit back there and cry every once in a while. That's this little kid's mom. I'm curious to hear what she has to say. Right. Period. Period. Yeah. I had a, we tried a trucking case and it was a devastating story and this family lost their five-year-old. And as a mom, as a human (laughs) that was an extremely I was even scared of that testimony having to bring a parent through what does it mean to you that you've lost your five-year-old it's just hard to imagine and it was scary for me because I'm a person who when other adults are crying. Right. I'm probably crying too. Literally last night, like 12 hours ago, I was finishing a mediation that we got done for this for our clients. And the dad, it was another uh, case where a child was involved. The dad was stoic the whole day. And we mediated for literally 11 hours. He was stoic, you know, would chime in occasionally. And when the mediator last left the room after we had resolved the case, we all started, you know, kind of saying like, just discussing, you know, our feelings of relief and so happy. And, and I missed it at first. He just broke down. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh my gosh, he's been holding there all he of is. this. Like the relief yeah. and the like, we can take care of our baby yeah. for the rest of her life. And I started crying. I'm feeling emotional talking about it. Yeah. And I was a little embarrassed because my clients are crying because they are feeling this relief. And then I had to reach for a Kleenex too. Yeah. So you can imagine given that I'm that person and it's hard for me to hold back that emotion, but I'm working on it because I never want to be inappropriate, you know? Sure. And so like looking forward to this specific and I had to put myself in the position of the jurors who I also had to anticipate were scared of hearing from this person because of how unthinkable just that idea of losing a young child is. Yeah. Um, And so we got through it, but the way I prepped her is we just, they were from out of town and we just sat in her hotel room the night before and we looked at pictures and shared stories. And literally, like, she understood that she was, you know, we were meeting because she was giving testimony the next day. But that's all we did. And I just had my stack of pictures and we just went through them. And it was appropriate. And And it was manageable. And it had a structure because she could be guided by, like, these are her memories, you know, and they are like her treasures, like these pictures that, re, you know, recall stories and things like that. Those those are the treasures that she holds of her daughter um, because memory fades a little bit. Yeah. And so, you know, these things have been so stuck in her mind and that's how we did it. Um, and she didn't need to tell any other part of the story. And the jury just needed to hear from her so they could understand the family and who they were 
you know, yeah, who who's the decision that they had in their hands. And it was tough. It was really tough to get through. Um, and it was tough for the mom. And and it was tough to bring her through it. And I just had to be as sensitive as I could. And I just tried to stop being a lawyer and just talk to her. And it was easy to do once you're in that moment with that person and talking with them and leading them through this because you can't, you know, turn off your human brain and try to be a, you know, analyzing lawyer when your client is on the stand crying. You just need to get them through it. Right. And I I also think that is the part of lawyering is seeing your client, seeing these pictures, knowing that she's going to take the stand tomorrow and just being able to know as an attorney and as a person what we need to do right now is look at these pictures and talk about them. And that's what we're going to do and spend this time. And it's so counterintuitive, at least to me, because I and I've shared before with our listeners that the way I deal with the emotional parts of our job is a very practiced and strict compartmentalizing. And I had to take off that armor. Yeah. In that particular moment. And that made me feel vulnerable. I mean, this is not about me, but yeah, <laughs> all of our listeners, you know, are on my side of it. And to take off that armor and get in that mud and feel vulnerable with her in front of the jury was it, it was an experience, man. Like it still kind of affects me thinking about putting myself back in that moment and not, you know, feeling for her and what she was going through, even having to do this part. Um, and kind of being a little mad at the same time that we were here. Right. Because, I mean, any case is being tried because it's not settled. And it, it I felt a little bit of protectiveness of like, man, we could have avoided this. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it is, it's, it's the system. And that is the system we work in. And our jobs are to usher our clients through it when that is the route from a to be to get justice right yeah it's just a big I I feel like it's a huge responsibility but it's one that we love to have Mm -hmm. because it's seeing our client all the way through Mm -hmm. getting them from day one through a verdict no matter the outcome that's gonna that's gonna close some sort of chapter for them with us um and it's like an honor to be there for our clients in that I remind people as well, you know, this is your opportunity to confront the defendant Mm -hmm. and tell, make them hear you. Win, lose, or draw, they will have to sit in that courtroom and listen to your story and listen to how their negligence or their actions have harmed you. And that is, that's empowering not only for the client, but I think for us as well. Right. Because I can't promise you an outcome, but I can promise you'll have a voice. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you, ladies, for what, just as prepping our clients, may start as a scripted episode (laughs) and ends in an emotional authenticity of how we get our clients to trial. And um, thank you for the conversation today. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Heels in the Courtroom. Our episodes come out on Wednesdays, wherever you get your podcasts. If you have comments, please reach out to us at heelsinthecourtroom.law. See you next time. Bye. Heels in the Courtroom is brought to you by the Simon Law Firm. 
At the Simon Law Firm PC, we believe in the power of pooling resources in order to create powerful results. We often lend our trial skills and experience to lawyers around the country to achieve better results for their clients. Our attorneys welcome the opportunity to work with you on your case, offering vast resources, seasoned litigators, and a sterling reputation. You can contact us at 314-241-2929. And if you enjoyed the podcast, feel free to share your thoughts with Amy, Liz, Erica, Mary, Elizabeth at heelsinthecourtroom.law. And subscribe today because the best lawyers never stop learning.